Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 74, 75, 76, 77, 78 of The Da Vinci Code. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to flag that the Fifty Shades Freed coverage has officially begun over on the Patreon. I've just looked at the prologue and chapter one, and let me tell you something. That E.L. James can't write for shit. She somehow makes even the sex scenes bizarre and boring. So Christian and Anna, they're on their honeymoon, and Anna's just on a beach in Monaco just trying to get her tits out trying to get a sunburn without a tan line and Christian's losing it. He's like, cover up you wench. He calls her a wench, which I don't agree with. Like you just married the woman and you're calling her a wench and slapping her on the butt. Like what the hell? And you know what? Let her get her boobies out. Anyway, if you're interested in that, head over to patreon.com slash breaking down bad books and you can access the exclusive content. One new episode every week for $3 a month. Okay. So back to the Da Vinci Code, where we left off, Sophie T. Bing and Robert, they were just on the plane fleeing Paris, going over international borders without a worry in the world. And they've decoded the sign of the rose, that little scribble that was on the back of the rose. It was Da Vinci's handwriting backwards, upside down. (sighs) So, yeah. So now they're pondering over the next clue because this whole book, it's, oh, it's a clue leads to another clue, which leads to another clue. It's like, fuck me, dead Sonia. If someone could get into your bank vault, Maybe just tell them where the Holy Grail is. I don't know why you need to do this. This cryptex on cryptex on riddle on riddle. Like it's too much. So let's get into it. So it's chapter 74. We're on the plane. As Dan Brown likes us to know, we're on a plane. And so Langdon's saying to Sophie, you're quiet. And she's like, yeah, I'm just thinking. And so I think she's just wanting some alone time. But Langdon's like, I'm going to annoy you and talk to you. And it's like, oh. You know, when you're on a plane, you just want to sleep. You want to watch a movie. You want to be in peace. And he's like, oh, now's a great time to have a chat. He's that annoying person. Like, no, thank you. Like, have you ever had a stranger sit next to you on a plane and be like, where are you off to? And it's like the same place as you, bitch. Like, like, I don't need you to know my life. I'm never going to see you ever again. Like, good night. I'm putting on my eye mask. I'm putting on my earplugs. See you when we land, toots. Oh, so annoying. So he's being annoying. And he says, I think I know part of the reason why your grandfather conspired to put us together. I think there's something he wanted me to explain to you. Okay. Can we just be clear? Sonia never intended for all of this to happen. Like he didn't conspire to arrange for you two to hang out. He was shot in the stomach. 
He knew that he had eight minutes to live. He was locked in the Louvre. So he sort of was grasping at straws, trying to figure out a plan. Like this isn't his long-term goal to get you two together in a room. And he says, the rift between you, the reason you haven't spoken to him in 10 years, I think maybe he was hoping I could somehow make that right by explaining what drove you apart. No, mate, he was shot. And he was hoping that the secret of the Holy Grail wouldn't be lost. He was hoping you could help Sophie out because she apparently doesn't know anything about the Holy Grail or the Bible. And you apparently don't know anything about Da Vinci. So you're, you're a fucking great little pair. That was his primary concern. I mean, did it cross his mind in his dying breaths? Like, oh, I wish she, she was okay with me having orgies in my basement. Yeah, maybe he considered it. But I don't think that was front of mind for him. I, I'm sorry. He was bleeding out. And Sophie's like, I haven't actually told you what drove us apart. And Langdon's like, oh, please. You witnessed a sex rite, didn't you? And she's like, oh God, how did you know that? Very confronting of Langdon to just be like, yeah, you saw a sex rite. I can read it all over your face. And Langdon says, Sophie, you told me you saw something that convinced you that your grandfather was in a secret society. And I know all about secret societies. So like, doesn't take the brains of Da Vinci to guess what you saw. I don't know, Langdon, like it could be anything. It could have been animal slaughter. (laughs) It could have just been wearing robes and having weird little rings and having people over for tea. Like it, it didn't have to be a sex cult, but Langdon, he's, he's read his books on sex cults. So he's like, I know it. I know it. It would have been around the equinox, probably mid-March. And she's like, that's when I went back from university. I came home a few days early and Langdon's like, oh, I knew it. I, I knew it. Tell me about it. And she goes, no, like, I, I don't want to talk about my granddad getting railed in the basement. And so he says, we're both men and women present. And she nods and he's like, oh, thank God. So it's not a homosex cult. It's a heterosex cult. That's, that's a relief. And he says, were they dressed in white and black? And she's like, oh my God, like, how do you know this? And she says, yep, the women were in white, the men were in black. And Langdon's trying to put on like a, a face of like quiet consideration, but inside he's like, oh my God, she got to see a sex right. I am so jealous. And he's like, were they wearing masks? And he's trying to keep his voice normal. And she's like, yes. And he's like, holy shit, a sex cult. And he says, look, babe, what you saw, it was called Hiros Gamos. It dates back more than 2000 years. Egyptian priests and priestesses performed it regularly to celebrate the reproductive power of the female. Mm. As I've said before, I think, I think some guy came up with this. It was a shenanigan. Some guy just wanted to get his rocks off in a legitimate way. So he's like, hey, Let's have sex to show the power of the female spirit and the female body and female reproduction. Like what a great way to honor you by letting me rail you. Some guy came up with that and everyone was like, okay. And he was like, holy shit, how is this, how is this working? And he's like, all right, yeah, I'll start a cult. And so he told his little buddies and they were like, oh yeah, I'm part of the cult too. Just so they could have a bang. That's my belief. And so he says to us, Sophie, the ritual, it's called Kiros Gamos. It's Greek. It means sacred marriage. And she goes, what I saw was no marriage. And he's like, marriage is in union, Sophie. Words can mean other things, Sophie. And she's like, so you're talking about sex, huh? And he's like, no. And she's like, no. And he's like, well, kinda. He goes, yes, in a manner of speaking, but not as we understand it today. I'm sorry, did sex change in 2000 years? You know, maybe today there's nipple clamps and vibrators. Sure, sex has changed, but I do believe 
a, a dick in a V. It's it's not changed that much, Langdon. He's like, oh, oh yeah, it's sex, but not as you understand it. Like, I'm sorry. What sort of sex ed class is this, Robert? What sex are you doing? What? He says, it had nothing to do with eroticism. <laughs> Wink. Yeah, sure. It was a spiritual act. Historically, intercourse was the act through which male and female experienced God. Yeah, bullshit. I, I'm telling you, some horny individual came up with that and, and couldn't believe that people believed him. He says, physical union with the female remained the sole means through which man could become spiritually complete and ultimately achieve knowledge of the divine. Yeah, nah. A creepy male priest came up with that. He's like, I'm just, I just want to be close to God, guys. Can I please have sex with you? And they were like, yeah, I mean, in the name of God, sure. He says, since the days of Isis, sex rites had been considered man's only bridge from earth to heaven. I mean, there's also dying, Robert. That's a good way to get into heaven. Or you could have a bang, sure. And Sophie's like, what? Orgasm is prayer? She's like, I don't, I don't think so. Even though she's the one that's seen the sex rite, he's now convincing her. And he goes, well, yeah, physiologically speaking, the male climax was accompanied by a split second entirely devoid of thought. What? A brief mental vacuum. What? A moment of clarity during which God could be glimpsed. Okay. Hmm. All right. Do you reckon Dan Brown was like, I'm going to do some research for this chapter? And he just spent like a month in his room just jacking it. A brief mental vacuum at the point of orgasm. I, I guess. I mean, I don't know about that. You know, you could meditate. That's a, that's a way to do it. Or you could actually vacuum. I find when I'm doing housework, I'm, the vacuuming, doing the dishes, my mind's blank. I zone out completely. So you could do that to commune with God. But nah, yeah, you just jack off and see God. And that, well, no, that's the thing they're talking about. It has to be through sex. You have to have sex with a woman in order to access heaven. Although you could just jack it. I'm sorry, an orgasm's an orgasm. These ISIS worshippers, they're not jacking it, are they? No shortcuts for them. They want to go the whole hog. Oi, oi, oi. So Langdon, he's all for it. He's like, Sophie, you must understand that their idea of sex was completely different to ours. This is all about miracles and God and the ability of the woman to produce life from her womb, making her sacred. So guys had to fuck them so that they could have a moment of clarity. He says, it's about spirituality, Soph. It's not a perversion. It's a deeply sacrosanct ceremony. Yeah, so you say. So you say, Robert. But I'm still thinking back to that Pharaoh who, who came up with this idea and couldn't believe that it caught on. He said, thank my lucky stars. People are believing me with this bull crap. And it just, it just carried, it just stuck. And Sophie's crying. Like, oh my God. If someone said to me, hey, your granddad had sex with someone. I don't think I'd be in tears. And like, well, I wouldn't have excommunicated him from my life in the first place. But even if I'd done that, I would now be like, oh my God, gross. He was having sex with God. Oh, gross. And she's crying like, oh. Calm down, Doris. And then, of course, we get a flashback. (laughs) Uh, He says, admittedly, the concept of sex as a pathway to God was mind-boggling at first. Langdon's Jewish students always looked flabbergasted when he first told them that the early Jewish tradition involved ritualistic sex. In the temple, no less. Okay, don't really know why that was important to know, but okay, he has a little mini flashback there. And so then he tries to say that 
these early religious God cults or whatever, they were having sex to commune with their version of God and the church didn't like it. So the church was like, hey, sex is bad so that they would stop having sex. (laughs) How'd that work out for your church? But they wanted to recast sex as a disgusting and sinful act. And then other major religions did the same and then everyone stopped having sex so no one could be with God. Hmm. Imagine, uh, did they say peace be with you as they were entering each other in the basement? I don't know. And then he has another flashback and it says, ironically, and it's not ironic, ironically, Langdon had made this same point in a class lecture earlier this semester, talking about sex and sex cults and blah, blah, blah. And so, of course, his horny students, Langdon has the horniest students in his classrooms at all times. They say, Professor Langdon, are you saying that instead of going to chapel, we should have more sex? And everyone laughs. Well, all the boys laugh, the girls don't. It's a very gendered response in that lecture theatre. And Langdon goes, I'm not going to take the bait, gentlemen. So now he's just addressing half the room. He says, gentlemen, might I offer a suggestion for all of you without being so bold as to condone premarital sex? Like, calm down. You're teaching symbology. You don't have to get on your high horse about premarital sex. He says, I will give you this bit of advice about your sex lives. And all the men lean forward. And he says, the next time you find yourself with a woman, because none of them are gay, by the way, gays don't exist. The next time you find yourself with a woman, look in your heart and see if you cannot approach sex as a mystical, spiritual act. Challenge yourself to find that spark of divinity that man can only achieve through union with the sacred feminine. Okay, how has he not been fired? Like, I, I, I don't think... An educator can go into a room of students and say that. Like, I know it's college. It's not primary school. Like, okay, we can acknowledge that people have sex, but I don't think you should tell tell a classroom of boys, ignoring the girls in the room, I don't think you should be like, hey, guys, next time you have sex, think of it as talking to God. Like, what? Why? why? I wouldn't want someone I'm having sex with to be thinking about God. Don't think about another man when you're with me. That's what I'd say. But the women in the room, they smiled knowingly and nodded. They were like, yeah, obviously, sacred feminine represent, like, yeah. And then the men exchanged dubious giggles and off-color jokes. And Langdon sighed. He was like, boys are boys. So that was a nice little exploration of the gender binary. And then we're back in the present, back on the plane. And Sophie's still like, oh, boy. But now, as well as having the ick from before, now she's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have cut him out of my life for 10 years. That was a bit rough. And for some reason, we flash back to her going into the basement, a chapter which we've read. Like we've, we've experienced this flashback like six times. Once in like a lot of detail, we got the whole story about how she borrowed a friend's car. She drive up to the north of Paris. She saw the lights on. She went to the shed, blah, blah, flack and bar. We, we went through every step. And here she's flashing back to it again, being like walking down the staircase, seeing people in robes, seeing a granddad get railed. Like, oh my God, we get it. And this time she's even recalling the moment that she instantly recognized her granddad's body on the floor. What? Why would you instantly recognize your granddad's naked body? That's odd. Cause he was wearing a mask. That could have been any old guy. That could have been any saggy bald guy, but she was like, oh, that's my granddad. Why do you know what your granddad looks like naked? <clears throat> that gives me pause. That's concerning. And so straddling her grandfather was a naked woman wearing a white mask, her luxuriant silver hair flowing out behind it. So at least he was banging someone his age. She wasn't doing a Leonardo DiCaprio in that basement. So that's nice. Also, I think, 
I don't know if this is in the movie or the book, but I think it's revealed that it's his wife. I think either maybe it's in the book and not the movie or it's in the movie, not the book, one or the other. But it was banging his wife who was the secret this whole time. I don't know. So it's not even that big of a deal, Soph. And then we get a whole paragraph about how she ran from the basement. She drove back to Paris. We know we've, we've lived it. We've gotten the whole perspective and that's the end of the chapter. Jesus Christ. If I have to have that flashback one more time, I am going to be so mad. I'm going to write to Dan Brown and say, hey, that book you wrote 15 years ago, it's annoying. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So we go to chapter 75 and we're in a different plane. And this one's a chartered turboprop. I don't know what that is, but sure, it's a turboprop. Great. And we're with Arangorosa flying from Italy to Paris. And right now he's going over Monaco and he's airsick again, but he's just gotten off the phone with Fash and whatever Fash has said, he's like really concerned about it. And he's thinking, what have I gotten Silas into? What have I gotten myself into? And so he goes up to the pilot and he says, I need to change destinations. The pilot's like, you're joking, right? And he goes, no, I have to get to London immediately. And he goes, father, this is a charter flight, not a taxi. And okay. I mean, I get that it's ridiculous of him to be like, hey, change directions. But aren't chartered flights like sort of a taxi? 
I feel like you're hiring a vehicle to get from point A to point B. That's like a taxi. But I get the pilot's perspective. I'm on team pilot here. And Aaron Garosa, he says, I will pay you extra. London is only one hour farther north and requires almost no change of direction. Okay, where are you getting that from? Are you a flight controller, Aaron Garosa? This priest knows the direction of Paris to London and, and knows where they are in the sky. And he knows how long it'll take. That's a lot of assumptions being made. Maybe this pilot doesn't want to go to England. Maybe he hasn't got a visa for that. Maybe the flight's not registered to go in that direction because we know that's a big deal. And this guy's like, "Uh, nah. He's like, bribe me all you want, but I can't do it. And he goes, all right, 10,000 euros. And he's like, what's a priest doing with 10,000 euros? And Aaron Garossa shows him the briefcase filled with like the Vatican bonds. And the pilot's like, I don't even know what that is. And he says, this is a lot more valuable than 10,000 euros. It's Vatican bank bonds. It's the same as cash. And the pilot's like, no, it ain't. Like, where am I? Am I going to the Vatican bank to trade this in? Like, what? No. And Aaron Gross is like, this is a matter of life or death. You have to help me. I need to get to London. And then the pilot's looking at the bishop's gold ring. And he's like, is that a real diamond? What? Gold ring, but it's a diamond. Oh, a diamond on his gold ring. Okay. Hey, pilot, keep your eyes up front. Aren't you flying the plane? Why are you looking at his hands? So Aaron Garossa hocks the ring to him just to go to Paris. I mean, it's only one hour north and just like barely a change of direction. He probably could have bartered him down, but yet he gets rid of his ring. And so then he sits back down and it says 15 seconds later, he could feel the pilot banking a few more degrees to the north. I'm sorry. You could feel that, could you? Could, you could feel that, Aaron Garosa? What internal compass does he have that us mere mortals do not have? I could be walking down the street and not have a clue what direction if I'm going, if I'm north or south or west or east. Not a clue. And this guy's like, ah, yes, I feel myself shifting in this plane a few degrees to the north. That's right. That's where London lies. Oh, what? How does he have this ability? Anyway, that's the end of that chapter. Chapter 76, we're back with Langdon on that plane. And Sophie's still shaken from the reveal that her grandfather wasn't just a horny dirt bag. He was actually having sex to see God, which I'm more dubious about famously, but okay. But meanwhile, Langdon, he's like, holy shit. Her grandfather was the one in the middle getting spit roasted. He's like, whoa, that means that he's the grandmaster of the Priory of Sion. He's like, oh my God, Jacques Sunier. He was in the company of Da Vinci and Newton and Victor Hugo and Botticelli. Whoa, did we not already figure out that Sunier was the grandmaster? Is this going to be a revelation every time it comes up? I can't believe it. The guy who has bequeathed you from his big giant plan (laughs) to get you two together, he's bequeathed you the cryptex and the sign of the rose, the sub rosa clue, all this shit. And you just, you still don't think he's the grandmaster? Like, God, (sighs) Langdon, you're a freaking idiot. So then Teabing rejoins them with the Nibblies. Remember, he went off to go get the Nibblies. And I thought he sounded like a pedophile for saying nibblies. Anyway, so he actually only comes back with several cans of Coke and a box of old crackers. Uh, let's pause on that for a second. You've re- you were able to rustle up several cans of Coke, but only one box of crackers. So now you're just going to share a box of crackers while you've got excess cans of Coke. Who, who stocked this plane? How does that come about? How can the ratio be so off? They're not even new crackers. And you can bet the Cokes aren't 
cold. They'd be warm Cokes. Warm Coke and an old cracker? Oh, thank you, T-Bing. I'd rather starve. And so then T-Bing's like, any luck with the poem? And they're like, oh yeah, that poem we've been decrypting. Forgot all about that. So Langdon's thinking about that first line, a headstone praised by Templars is the key. And he's like, hmm, a headstone praised by Templars. What could it be? What could it be? And he sits down for like all of three minutes, just thinking it over. And then he goes, oh, I got it. I figured it out. And everyone's like, what? What? Tell us. And he's like, I figured it out. And T-Bing's like, what you do? And he's like, yep. They never reveal anything. Every single one of them does this. They milk it for all they're worth. And so T-Bing says, you know where the headstone is? And Langdon goes, not where, what it is. And Sophie's like, oh, okay, so tell us. And he's like, yep, I think the headstone refers to a literal stone head. T-Bing's like a stone head. And Sophie looked equally confused. Is it that confusing? Like, is it really? A stone head. He's talking about a head that's made out of stone or something or other. I don't know. Let's continue. So Langdon, he's like, yeah, Lee, during the Inquisition, the church accused the Knights Templar of all kinds of heresies, right? So so he's got to go into the explanation before the reveal. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Put the proper important information up front. Why are you burying the lead with the historical mumbo jumbo? And then T-Bing is also in no rush because yes, that's correct. They fabricated all kinds of charges. And then he lists them. Like we've got all the time in the world. He's like, yes, sodomy, urination on the cross, devil worship, quite a list. And I'll admit I've heard of sodomy and devil worship, but urination on the cross, that one's a new one to me. And he's like, yeah. And also false idols. They worshiped false idols, right? And Tabing's like, of course. And he's like, yes, you've got it as well. And Sophie's like, fill a bitch in. So apparently the Templars used to pray to a carved stone head of the pagan god Baphomet. I mean, I don't know if this is irony, but ironically, Baphomet is the god of, I don't know, sexual union. He says the ceremony of Baphomet honored the creative magic of sexual union, but the Pope convinced everyone that Baphomet, his head was in fact that of the devil. So the modern belief of a horned devil known as Satan can be traced back to Baphomet and the church's attempts to recast this horned fertility god as a symbol of evil. The church did a lot of propaganda work, didn't they? A lot of recasting things as satanic. They really were the first PR agency. And you can say a lot about the church, but God damn it, they did a good job, didn't they? I mean, you see satanic devils everywhere. A devil with horns, I mean... Halloween's coming up. You'll see that around the corner all the time. And you think dressing up as the devil is an affront to the church, but secretly the church is like, hee hee hee, (laughs) that's our little trick. You fell for our little trick. Anyway, and then Dan, stupid Dan Brown, he says, Baphomet also appeared in group photographs. Just say photos. In group photographs, when some joker, some joker, what boomer wrote this book? Some joker raised two fingers behind a friend's head in the V symbol of horns. Certainly few of the pranksters realized that their mocking gesture was in fact advertising their victim's robust sperm count. That's not true, Dan. Actually, that's not true, Ellen. Like, I'm sorry, but when people do bunny ears behind someone's head in photos, it's bunny ears. It's not devil horns talking about sperm count. Don't, don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining saying that, that bunny ears are actually devil ears. In what world? In what world? 
Oh, well, in my household, it's a bunny year. In, in your household, it might be a devil ear. Either way, it's got nothing to do with sperm count. Let me tell you that. And so Sophie's like, okay, boys, that's great. Thanks for the, the history lesson. Thanks for telling me all about the history of bunny fucking ears. But let's get back to the poem at hand. She says, Baphomet has eight letters. We only have room for five. And Teabing says, ah, but that's where the Atbash cipher comes into play. And that's the end of the chapter. I love that the cryptologist, the person whose career it is to study cryptology, to crack codes, who grew up solving cryptexes, who's the only one that knew what a cryptex was, who studied the Atbash at school, even though she forgot about it, but then she remembered that she did learn about it. I love that she's the one that has to be reminded that there's a cipher called the Atbash cipher. She's like, oh, there's no way that can be the answer to the cryptex because it's only five letters and that's eight letters. It's like, bitch, did you not read the clue? Like we already, we already established there's a cipher, you dummy. I'd fire her. If I were the DCPJ, I'd fire her, yes, for taking a hostage over international waters, but also for being a shit cryptographer. So then in chapter 77, T-Bing's writing out all of the Hebrew alphabet on a piece of paper from memory. And Langdon's like, that's impressive. Why? What? So he, he says, here's the alphabet. The vowel sounds aren't written. Therefore, when we write the word Baphomet using the Hebrew alphabet, it will lose its three vowels in translation, leaving us with five letters. Okay, if you knew that, why'd you have to write out the whole alphabet? You know, like, you know the word. So you could have just written down the letter B, the P, the H, the M, the T. Like, uh, but no, he's writing down A to fucking Z just to show off. Like, oh. What time crunch are these people on? I wish I had that much time in the day to just be writing down the alphabet recklessly, with, with reckless abandon. <sighs> and he says, remember, of course, that Hebrew is normally written in the opposite direction, but we can just easily use Atbash this way. All we have to do is create our substitution scheme by rewriting the entire alphabet in reverse order, the original alphabet. Okay, you lost me. You lost me. Now you're writing the alphabet backwards. Surely you could just look at those few letters and figure it out. Oh, I don't know. And Sophie's like, there's an easier way. This works for all reflectional substitution ciphers, including the Atbash, a little trick I learned at the Royal Holloway. Okay, so she, she's the Atbash expert, but she forgot that it existed. Five minutes ago, she was stumped when she read Atbash, but now she's like, oh, here's something I learned at the Royal Holloway. Anyway, so now she's writing the alphabet left to right on a piece of paper and she's spinning the piece of paper around, blah, blah, blah. Like, why are we doing this? And T-Bing's like, oh, that's a great little trick. Glad to see those boys at the Holloway are doing their job. Okay, casual sexism. The boys at Holloway, she could have been taught by a woman. She is a woman and she's the one that just taught you and you're crediting the boys at Holloway. You sexist piece of shit, T-Bing. And Langdon, meanwhile, he's getting a boner because he's always getting a rising thrill of anticipation whenever they're solving a riddle. He's boner city over here. And he's also flashing back to when he read about this at Bash Cypher. So, oh. <sighs> Apparently it took scholars years to figure out that some city that was written in the Bible or some Bible or some gospel or some bullshit was referencing the city of Babel, but they didn't figure it out until they used the at Bash Cypher. Thanks, Robert. All need to know information. I'm so glad you filled us in. So they're writing it out and Langdon's like, oh my God, we're getting close. Langdon whispered, unable to control his excitement. I think he's going to have a union with God in a second. He's approaching a mental vacuum. A moment of clarity when he orgasms in his pants over this riddle. 
Okay, so Baphomet in Hebrew, the vowels are B-P-V-M-T-H, whatever. Now we apply the at-bash substitution matrix to translate the letters into our five-letter password. So you still didn't need all the other letters. I don't get it. And so they write, are writing it all down on a piece of paper, which Sophie can't see for some reason. They've again blocked her out of view, even though she's the cryptologist, even though she's a shit cryptologist, you'd think she'd be doing this, but they've blocked her out of view. And Langdon's like, Sophie, you won't believe this. And she's like, what is it? And he says, you won't believe it. And she's like, what do you mean? And he says, you especially won't believe it. And she's like, well, tell me then. And he goes, this is crazy. And she's like, okay, well, what is it? And he goes, it's utterly ingenious. And she's like, okay, tell me. And T-Bing's like, drum roll. And she's like, fucking tell me you wankers. And they say, look. And so they show her and it's S-H-V-P-Y-A. And she's like, I don't fucking know what that is. (laughs) They were trying to hype it up. And she's like, I don't know what that is. And they're like, come on, look at it. It's the ancient word for wisdom. And Langdon's like, oh my God, an ancient word of wisdom frees the scroll. That's in the poem. And he's like, oh my God, it's an ancient word of wisdom, literally. (laughs) And they're laughing and laughing. And Sophie's like, somebody explain it, please. She's not good at riddles and solving cryptic clues. She's not good at it. She'd be stumped by a crossword. And she goes, guys, that can't even be the password because it's using a Roman alphabet, not a Hebrew alphabet. And they're like, yeah, read it out, you dumb bitch. And she's like, what do you mean? Can they not just say it for her? Like, not everything's a learning moment. You don't need to leave her on the hook all the time until she figures it out on her own. Sometimes it's okay to just tell the answer to someone. Langdon's like, read it out loud, Sophie. In Hebrew, the sound for sh can also be pronounced as s, depending on the accent. And read the letter P with an F. Is it really that easy for her to read S-V-F-Y-A? I'd do it as z-v-z. And she's puzzled. She's not getting it. She's not getting it at all. And T-Bing's like, it's genius, Sophie. How haven't you figured it out yet? And he also says the letter Vav, which is the V, is often a placeholder for the vowel sound O. Often. I mean, is it? I don't know. I didn't realize T-Bing and Langdon both spoke fluent Hebrew, but here we are. And Sophie's like, I don't get it. And then she reads out Sophia. And she's like, Sophia, Sophia. She's like, I don't know what fucking Sophia means. And Langdon's like, come on, you're so close. You can get this. Like, just tell her. And he says, yes, Sophia, Sophia literally means wisdom in Greek. And he says, that's the root of your name, Sophie. And she's uh, she's like, yeah, I know my own name, but this isn't it. I mean, she is a bit of a dummy for reading Sophia and not even thinking that's similar to my name. And he's like, it's literally a word of wisdom. They've said literally like six or seven times and it's literally destroying my soul. And so Sophie's like, oh, that's nice. She goes, my grandfather encrypted the Priory Keystone with my name. And she's like getting all caught up. She's like, oh, that's so sweet. Even though her name's not Sophia, it's Sophie, but yeah, splitting hairs, I guess. She's Sophie, S-O-P-H-I-E. And the code is S-O-F-I-A. And she's like, so similar. He loves me. And Teeving says, yeah, your grandfather wrote an ancient word of wisdom. In ancient Greek, wisdom is spelled Sophia. Like, we get it. I don't know why they had to hammer that home. It's a literal translation. Like, oh, fuck me dead. Yes. So that's the end of that chapter. Let's just knock over chapter 78. Let's do it. And Sophie's like, oh my God. And she, 
Now she's realizing it. She goes, an ancient word of wisdom frees this scroll. Sophia means wisdom. We know. Like, can everyone cool it? We know. And so Sophie puts Sophia into the cryptex and she's like, here we go, guys, here we go. And there's a bit of tension and Langdon's like, remember the vinegar, please be careful. It's like, yeah, she, she knows. Didn't she tell you about the vinegar? She's the only one here that's had hands-on experience with a cryptex before. And Langdon's like, be careful, you fat fingered cow. The way they talk to her is just so irritating to me. Even though she's the worst cryptographer in the world, it's, it's just so rude. So she opens it, it opens, it is Sophia, great. There's that mystery solved and inside it's a scroll. But she's confused because she's like, uh, this scroll's made out of lambskin vellum, not papyrus. So the vinegar wouldn't even destroy it. So that's weird. And T-Bing's like, that doesn't look like papyrus. And she's like, yeah, I know, right? It's padding something. So then she opens it and it's another cryptex. We got conned, guys. They faked us out with a cryptex within a cryptex. I, I did think when I was reading earlier, I was like, this cryptex is being described as being quite big from my memory. It was a lot smaller. I forgot that there was a cryptex within a cryptex. And they're so annoyed. And T-Bing's like, ugh, your grandfather was a pitiless architect. He's pissed. He's like, I hate your fucking grandfather. Well, you did order his death. So, I don't know, maybe call it even. And Langdon's thinking, ugh. I see Sonia had no intention of making this easy. Again, I don't know why. I would have just stopped at the bank vault. I mean, yeah, that riddle was hard, but you guys figured it out on one flight from Paris to London, which isn't a long flight. So if you guys can figure it out in 23 minutes, maybe other people could too with the use of the internet. So it's not that much protection just to put it in another cryptex with another riddle, which you guys are going to solve eventually as well. So (laughs) anyway, so there's a second cryptex. Such a dick move from Sonier. But Langdon, he is like, oh, it makes perfect sense because of the, you know, the duality of man. Everything's in pairs, male and female, black and white. Because this cryptex has black stone and the other one had white stone. And he's like, yeah, white gives birth to black. Every man sprang from woman. White is female. Black is male. What? None of That's all bullshit. You're just putting words on a page. None of that makes any sense. Since when is white female and black male? Like we we don't have to gender colors. So there's another riddle. And T-Bing says, you'll be pleased to hear that we're at least flying in the right direction. Well, that was a gimme. And this is what really annoys me about this chapter in particular and the book as a whole. Langdon's like, oh, look, another four line verse in iambic pentameter. And then he just tells us the first line. Like he doesn't say the next three lines. Why can you not just tell us the whole thing? I'm not going to sit here and solve it. Just tell me the whole thing and I'll keep reading the book. Uh, 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 Why are you trying to put me off from finding the Holy Grail? It doesn't exist. And the first line says, in London lies a knight, a pope interred. And that's all we're going to get. And Langdon's like, wow, pretty good that we're on a flight to Britain. (laughs) T-Bing's gamble to go to Britain's really paid off. Even though we've just seen in a few chapters prior that when you're on a plane, you can just ask the pilot to go elsewhere. So... If they did need to go elsewhere, you just ask the pilot and there'd be no problem. But no, so it's very handy. And he says the remainder of the poem clearly implied that the password for opening the second cryptex could be found by visiting this knight's tomb somewhere in the city. Okay, tell me the poem then. Do we ever find out the rest of the poem or is that all we're going to get the, this Cliff's Notes version of the poem? Did Dan Brown just not want to write the rest of the poem? 
couldn't be bothered the day he wrote this chapter. I don't know, but we're never going to hear it apparently. And Langdon's like, do you know what night this poem is referring to? And Teabing says, not the foggiest, but I know in precisely which crypt we should look. Okay, great. So he has an idea. And again, he's not telling us. Oh, they love to withhold information. And then at that moment, 15 miles ahead of them, six Kent police cars streaked down rain-soaked streets towards Biggin Hill Executive Airport. So, yep, Fash really mobilized the Kent local police and the Kent local police are just doing whatever Fash wants. Didn't see that coming. And that's the end of the chapter. Okay, so I'm going to leave it there. As I said earlier, if you want to jump on the Fifty Shades train, just go to patreon.com slash breaking down bad books and I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.